Scott, welcome back on the podcast. Full disclosure for our listeners right now, I asked Scott to come on the podcast earlier. He jumps on just moments ago and tells me that he's on vacation. So Scott stepped away from a vacation to join me on the podcast. That is That might be the hardest working columnist I know, to step away from a vacation to jump on a podcast. Well, Connor, I am trying to get a big raise, you know, but... Uh... <laughs> Actually, this this is so it's such a pleasure doing a, a podcast with you that I, I don't consider it work. Uh, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Hopefully, you can crack a beer uh, and relax. Um, you know, because I think a lot of Warriors fans are not relaxed, and I think that that's exactly what they need in their lives. This has been a pretty tumultuous few weeks for Warriors Nation, uh, for Dub Nation. Um, you know, obviously, you have. Clay Thompson's injury. Then you have the positive coronavirus test from Jay's Wiseman and Draymond Green. Uh, then you have the absolute drubbings uh, against Milwaukee and Brooklyn on national television. Um, you, you still have Draymond Green out with uh, a foot issue. Um, and then you get Marquise Chris with coming down with uh, a, a broken leg and Marquise Chris being a key part of that center rotation. Now it's looking like there's a chance he could miss the entire season. I mean, when you're, when you wake up each day and you see the latest batch of bad news from the Warriors, what what are you thinking? I'm thinking it's going to be a rough year. I'm thinking this is going to be like an ultimate uh, up and down year, an ultimate roller coaster. Cause there's, there's, there's like two, two or three teams in the league, the Warriors being one of them that are just going to be all over the map. And it's not only because of the injuries and everything, but because the, the, the guys they have, you know, they got two or three guys like Kelly Oubre being one and uh, like two or three other guys, you know, that consistency is not their big thing. Right. Right. And just, you know, it seems they always had Draymond, Steph and Clay, you know, Clay would go cold at the times and even Steph a little bit, but basically you knew what you were going to get from those guys. And, and these guys, there's three or four of them. You don't know what you're going to get, including James Wiseman. You know, we'd like to think we're going to get a steady 18 points, 16, 18 points a night for him, seven, eight, 10 rebounds. But you don't know. So for many, these guys could be sensational one night. They, you know, maybe they'll beat the Lakers. Maybe they'll beat the, the top teams. But they're just going to be way up and down. Yeah, and the, the first couple of weeks of any season are interesting because you you always enter a season – with a certain measure of optimism, whether or not you're the media covering the team, whether or not you're the team itself or the fans, you're it's it's easy to lean toward a, a glass half full approach, um, especially when you're talking about a team like the Warriors. Given the fact that they are a really competent franchise, they're well run, they tend to make sound decisions, um, and they have a winning pedigree. Uh, so it's easy. It was easy for me as the beat writer to kind of throw out last season and enter this season before Clay's injury saying, I, I think they, they can be the rare team to exercise the memory of a league worst record and, and come out and legitimately contend for a title. Now, obviously my, my, uh, my narrative changed a little bit once Clay went down, but even after that, you, you came on the pod and we talked about expectations for the season and, I said that I think there's an outside chance that if all things go well, that they could be a top four seed in the West. Now, here we are. Less than yeah, I think as I remember, I predicted they'd win six games this year, right? Isn't that what I 
Yeah, that's yeah. You 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 predicted all this. You you predicted the Marcus right. Chris injury. You predicted exactly. Yeah, Draymond and and uh, Wiseman positive test. You you you're basically a soothsayer over here. <laughs> but uh, the the interesting thing is that we're a week into the season, and I'm already realizing the the flaw in a lot of my logic there because um, for. As I said a couple of weeks ago on the pod, for for this team to be a top four seed in the West, literally everything needed to go right. Now, the reality of not just an NBA season, but life is not everything goes right. There are always things that come up that change the situation, that change expectations. And so I, I thought more realistically, this team was probably like a six seed in the West, somewhere in that six, seven range. What I'm realizing now and you don't want to glean too much from just three games, but I do think that those three games have been forceful enough to make it very clear that this is not a top four team in the West by any measure, uh, by any by any standard. Um, but I, I'm realizing that for every if everything goes right from here, obviously a lot of things have already gone wrong. But if a lot of if everything goes right from this point forward. This team, to me, is at best a sixth seed in the West. I think more realistically, they're somewhere between eight and ten. Now, keep in mind, you have the playing tournament for the playoffs this year. So a ten seed, you could still potentially get into the playoffs. Um, I think that they're somewhere in that eight to ten range, more realistically. And I also think it's very possible that they, that they just end up being a bad team that they end up being a legitimate sub 500 team with no serious shot at the playoffs. I think that is actually more likely at this point than them being a seed in the West. Yeah. I think we're back to the pre Steve Kerr era where the, like the three years before that and, and under Mark Jackson, even when the team was improving it, every year going in and early on, it was like, can this team make the playoffs? And even going down the stretch was, can they make the playoffs? You know, one year they made it as, as the last seed, and, and then they made it a couple other times. But it was always touch and go. So, yeah, it's going to be the era of the short five-year era of guaranteed making the Western Conference Finals every year was <laughs> when the season started. was It's pretty much down the drain. Uh, you know, they, they may have done themselves a favor by getting smoked in those first two games. They certainly <laughs> lowered everybody's expectations, right? Right. You know, after, after those two horrible you know, people figured it's no surprise they're going to be an 0 2, but to lose that badly and just look that terrible in almost every respect, uh, I think it just changed everybody's mindset, all the fans for sure, anyway, and maybe some of the players too. That my God, this, this team's going to struggle, and we just better, you know, embrace it and get out of it what we can. My biggest reason for concern entering the season was. The fact that Steve kept preaching, we need a top 10 defense. We need a top 10 defense. I don't blame him for that. I think that's actually yeah. good coaching to try to get his players to believe that. But just as an objective reporter of the team, I heard that and I thought, that is not possible. That's just simply not possible. No reality <laughs> can that happen. Um, this is a team that had the fifth worst defense in the league last season. And they're without their best perimeter defender again in Clay Thompson. We don't know what Draymond is right now. I mean, he, he didn't look great last season. Um, even if he's at full strength and the clip, the Draymond of old, I'm not convinced that he single-handedly can make this not just a top 
10 defense, but a, a top half of the league defense because um, they don't have any other proven defenders. I mean, you're, you're asking Andrew Wiggins and Kelly Oubre to be your go-to perimeter defenders, which, yes, they have length. Yes, they're athletic. But they've never proven at any point in their careers that they can be even consistently above average defenders, much less lockdown defenders. So um, that to me was the big question. And you've seen through these first three games, they've been absolutely abysmal defensively. And um, the thing about defense as opposed to offense is it usually takes a while longer for the offense to come along. Hopefully defensively, just by buying in and playing hard, you can be at least okay defensively. But they've been downright awful um which affects their offense because this is a team that wants to get out and transition and run and to do that you need to make stops um and you need to rebound um which they also haven't been doing and so um and then you add in the fact that offensively they don't seem to really have an identity right now yeah you know i was thinking because you know steph had the first couple games were kind of rough he bounced back last game scoring wise, but his shooting percentage is still down and he's not knocking down the threes. And I don't think there's anything wrong with him because obviously in practice the other day, he made what 105 threes in a row. So obviously his stroke is good. And when he, when he got hot last night, his stroke was good, but he's not getting the same shots. You know, Steph used to get, I don't know, I'm just going to guess like three or four threes a night from the corners right. where he would give up the ball go through about three cuts and wind up in the corner and get the ball back and have an open three or close to an open three. He's not getting those anymore. Now he's getting the shake and bake around two or three guys at the top of the key and do a step back. And so the shots are harder. He's he's not getting the, and and Steve Kerr's whole thing when he came in as, as the coach was, I'm going to get Kerr. I'm going to, I'm going to get Steph better shots. And he did, but now we're back to the earlier times when, Steph is not getting as great as shots, and so that's going to hurt. And he's your number one guy. To me, the biggest takeaway, and I wrote about this today, but to me, the biggest takeaway from last night's game was not actually Damian Lee's game-winning three, which was beautiful, but it was the fact that Kerr is making a concerted effort to simplify the offense. he admitted today that he made a major mistake already this season and that he went into training camp uh, feeling a, a profound sense of urgency and d- decided, I need to get them to figure out this offense. I need to bring all the newcomers up to speed as quickly as humanly possible. We just had a nine-month hiatus from games. We have a three-week preseason. I need to unload as much as I possibly can and install as much as I possibly can uh, as quickly as I can because of this this shortened time frame and what he's realizing now less than a week into the season is that that was a a miss a mistake because uh just because the timeline has changed it doesn't it doesn't change how people learn it doesn't change how people digest information just because you need to know something doesn't mean you're going to be able to um and understandably, these guys uh, have had a hard time picking up the nuances of a pretty complex system. Keep in mind, this is a system that doesn't really rely on plays. It's a read and react system. So it's all based off 
reading a situation and knowing what to do as, as opposed to having a set play where your coach dictates what you have to do. It's a lot more yeah. objective. Yeah. In a way it's, it's like, uh, learning how to read music, right? You know, you're going to be a concert violinist. You got to learn how to read music. And he's teaching these guys basically to read music, to read his system from as novices. And that's hard, you know, you can't, that's hard to do. It takes a while. There's a, there's, just takes a while even for really smart guys even that first year when he brought it in um he had much more time and he had much more help and he had much more experienced guys who had been together for a while so yeah it's tough now, explain uh to the listeners kind of basically when steve said he's going to dumb it down or simplify the offense what he did and what ways yeah yeah that? so one of the main things he did was um one of the, and one thing i've been writing a lot about and I, I think we've been talking a lot about is how important Andrew Wiggins is going to be to this season because his role just completely changed when, when Clay Thompson got injured. I think part of why Andrew Wiggins was a good fit on this team and why I thought it was a good trade with Minnesota at the deadline was because they weren't initially asking Wiggins to do much beyond be basically a better version of Harrison Barnes. You know, they're asking him to be an off the ball slasher who could attack closeouts and run the floor and use his athleticism to his advantage and knock down the open jumper, all things that he is overqualified to do. Um, but now with Playout, they need him to be, to be a legitimate, bona fide number two option. And also, by the way, be the, be the leader of the second unit and be a playmaker for the second unit. It also hasn't helped that Draymond's been out, so you're losing his facilitating. But you're at, you, need, you need Andrew Wiggins to basically be this all-star caliber guy which he's never been. Um, and what Steve realized after watching the first two games and seeing how much Wiggins was struggling was that Andrew, that he needed to, to basically get back to what Andrew did well in Minnesota, which was uh, clearing the floor and basically just setting a ton of high screens for him so that he could attack town downhill Get into the paint if he doesn't have an open shot. Uh, draw enough of of of, of a, draw enough defensive pressure so that he can kick out to open shooters. Yeah, which he did really well repeatedly last night and ended up having four assists and really got the offensive flowing in some crucial stretches, um, which I thought was really smart on Steve's part to to see that and and it also showed a a dose of humility, right? Because that, that, that gets away from what Steve likes to do. Um, Steve has talked many times about how much he hates that type of offense, but yeah, when you're, when you have the shortcomings that this roster has, you have to be willing to make concessions. And, um, you know, he put Wiggins in a, in a position to succeed yesterday. And I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens going forward because, um, you know, they're doing that, because they had to simplify the offense given that these guys just simply didn't know what they were doing out on the floor. Um, but if it works, why stop doing it? You know, right. even once the guys uh, start to pick up the nuances of the system, I think that, you know, if that's going to unlock some of Andrew's greatness, if that's going to make him look like the number one pick he was supposed to be, then why stop doing it? Um, and I think that there's a few other smaller examples of things like that that he did that they could continue to incorporate into the offense going forward. But as I wrote today, 
this is an interesting challenge for Steve because, um, you know, you, he's trying to simplify things without losing their identity, you know, without losing the motion principles, without losing the free-flowing offense that they've come to uh, make their signature. Um, but the reality is that Andrew Bogut's not walking through that door. Andre Guadala isn't walking through that door. Don Livingston is not on this team. Kevin Durant is on Brooklyn, you know, and without those guys, you can't execute that system the way they want, they want to. Yeah. And one reason Steve likes that system, which he brought in, he and Alvin Gentry is not so much that, Hey, that's my system. And, and that's my identity. It's that he knows that that maximizes Steph and Steph is the key. You know, you right. got to maximize Steph. Right. So he can't go completely away from it. He can't say, ah, we'll try something completely different because you, you got to do what works best for Steph. And Steph is pretty flexible. In fact, Steph is really trying to, to adjust it. Nobody's more, has more heart and spirit into going with the flow and, and going when things break down. You know, he's, he's not whining and crying, but yeah, there are certain things that are best for his game. And you, yeah, you got to do that. And what makes the thing about Steph is as great as he is, and I, I, I believe he's a transcendent talent. I think he's the greatest shooter in NBA history. He is not a physically dominant player. You know, he's not, uh, he's not going to necessarily put a team on his back because of his physical gifts. Um, he's not like Kevin Durant in that way. He's not like Giannis in that way. What makes Steph so great is that he plays with such a, a rhythm and flow that he can make the game beautiful as long as the players around him know what they're doing and, right. they, can, and they can kind of put him in, help put him in those spots. Um, but it was kind of, it was kind of sad watching those first couple games because you could see Steph so frustrated. He was, yep. you know, trying to be Steph, but he couldn't because there wasn't the, there wasn't the space on the floor. There wasn't, uh, there weren't the right angles. There, there just it just wasn't there for him, and so yep. you saw in the second half of last night's game, he just basically said, "You know what? Screw it. I'm gonna just attack the rim as much as humanly possible because the space isn't there, and I'm just gonna try to just force things to happen." And he ended up scoring 25 points in the second half, kind of willing them to that win thanks to Damian Lee's late three pointer. Um, but you know, it'll be really interesting to see if, if this team isn't able to channel that type of rhythm and flow, what ends up happening to Steph's season? Because I can really see him having a disappointing statistical year. Yeah. They end up having to go more toward these high screens and, and leaning on that type of offense. Yeah, which would be too bad because Steph's 32. And to my eye, uh, he's right at the top of his game. You know, physically, he is he is, hasn't lost anything. He's, if anything, maybe he's got a little tiny bit more to go. So he's, he's there, he's all there, you know, and you hate to waste a year this late in his career, a prime super prime year when he's just physically fit and ready to go and, and all that stuff. So that, that kind of puts more pressure on everything. Yeah, it does. And um, speaking of Steve, you had an interesting, an interesting column in our preview section a week or two ago um about how this could be steve's most fun season yet um and I, I know that you wrote in the column and you've told me that your angle initially was could this be steve's 
most challenging season yet, but he kind of shot down that narrative during your interview with him and said, there's no way it's going to be more challenging than last season, which is understandable given the fact that last season they had a league worst 15, 15 and 50 record. Um, but the interesting thing was today I asked Steve about the learning curve as a coach he's facing this season and unprompted, he went out of his way to say, um, this is by far the biggest challenge me, me and my staff have ever had. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and the fact that he's already doing that about face a week into the season, I think says a lot. Yeah. And I, it's, it's funny because uh, you wrote that and I tweeted out that I still think his first year with the Warriors was his biggest challenge. And some tweeter tweeted back. So now you're telling, you're telling us you know more about Steve Kerr than Steve Kerr knows. <laughs> In other words, Okay, so I'm going to give it to Steve. This is his biggest challenge. I'm just going to say I still think in some ways the first year was the biggest challenge. The reason is, as I tweeted today, if the, if the Warriors are terrible, Steve's still going to be here at the All-Star break. And his first season, he's told me, he, he went in actually believing, and not even sleeping at nights, believing that you know he's bringing a new system in. If his players don't buy into it, and if it doesn't work, he could be gone in, in a matter of a weeks, of just a few weeks. He could be out of a out of his first job within before the All Star break. That's not going to happen now. So in that respect, you know he's he's built up enough street cred and all this stuff. Uh, he, he's not going to be disgraced or run out of the, his profession. But uh, but the the challenge is huge though. But he yeah you know what he's got to do. He's got to have a he can't have a rotation, can he? He's got to be different every night, depending on who's hot and who's who's messing up and who's not focused and. You just can't count on all these guys, you know? I mean, we're three games in, and he's starting Juan Descano-Anderson at power. Right. A guy who wasn't even on 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 the opening day roster is now being counted on to be a solid rotation guy. Yeah, I I would make the argument that this this is probably his his most difficult season to date, and and for this reason, um, his first five years – his job as the coach was basically, and I'm not trying to minimize what he did because what he accomplished was right. extraordinary, but yeah. um, his job as a coach was basically to manage egos, to maintain that joyful ethos in the locker room, yeah. and to uh, guard against complacency, uh, which was a, a legitimate challenge at times. Uh, yeah. Last season, it was a unique season in that it went off the rails so early that they basically had no other choice but to wave the white flag four games into the season and go all in right. the youth movement. And after all the the goodwill and, and um, equity that they'd built up in the previous five years, it wasn't that difficult to ask the fan base to say, hey, just hold on with us for one season. It's going to be a down year, but we're going to get a high draft pick and we're going to parlay this into kind of what the Spurs did in 96, 97. We're going to even though there's not a Tim Duncan out there, we're going to parlay this into years of sustained success. Um, but now you're, you're potentially, if this season continues to go awry, you're potentially asking a fan base to believe in you for a second straight season of losing, uh, a fan base that's been accustomed now to winning at a very high level. Yeah. Um, you're also asking the locker room to maintain the the joyful com, uh, ethos and camaraderie that was a driving force behind the dynasty which is extremely difficult when you're talking about two seasons of losing and oh by the way 
this franchise is looking at losing hundreds of millions of dollars at the gate with no <laughs> fans at games. So I know Joe Lacob feels a need for this team to at least be relevant nationally, you know, even if they don't contend for a title, at least be in the conversation, at least be in the playoffs, um, which is why right a, a day after news surfaced that Clay had torn his Achilles, they traded for Kelly Oubre, knowing that it was going to spike the luxury tax $70 million. Yeah. Um, by the way, this team now has the largest payroll in NBA history, the biggest luxury tax bill in NBA history. It's one thing to stomach that for a winner. It's so hard to stomach that for a team that has no chance of winning for the second straight year. So that puts a lot of pressure on Steve to somehow turn water into wine a little bit and to at least make them competitive. Yeah, you beat me to that last one. On, uh, I was going to say, hey, what about the ownership? <laughs> because Joe is a pretty rational guy, right? And he knows what's going on. And he's not a, not a fool. But a coach is never – a coach is not an owner's son, you know. Mm-hmm. If if Steve was it was Joe's son, he'd he'd be good forever. But you know, it's it's a job, and you got to perform. And if your coach is not performing, if he's not winning, if the team's not winning, you start looking for reasons and stuff. And Joe's patience is not infinite, especially like you said with the financial considerations, the huge payroll and and no cash coming in from the fans. So yeah, that's that's definitely a consideration. And I'm not saying Lakeham's going to get panic and fire him and make, make a stupid move or anything like that. But it's just not. <laughs> Steve does not have lifetime tenure. Yeah, I, I don't I I do think that making the finals five straight years, regardless of the talent you had on the roster, um, is enough equity to not get fired. Um, I don't think he's gonna get fired anytime soon. I think what is more possible is that he would just choose to walk away. Uh, you know, this is a guy who has been very honest that um once it start, stops being fun, he's going to walk away. Um, he doesn't necessarily want to be a coach until his 80s. Uh, so I think that's more possible. He does seem to genuinely like these guys, and this does seem to be a team that genuinely gets along um, and likes each other. So I think that that helps, and I think it'll be really interesting to see when Draymond comes back how much he can help. I'm I'm not trying to be overly pessimistic here, but – I do feel like Draymond returning is not going to fix everything. In fact, it's not going to fix a lot of things. Um, I agree. And it's, it's kind of ominous that he's out this early in the foot thing. You get a foot thing in, in the NBA and in basketball. That's, that's kind of worrisome. Uh, yeah. And, and, and Draymond, the way he punishes himself and all this stuff. So that, yeah. There's no- and Draymond's he- one of these guys who – needs to have great players around him to to be an all-star caliber guy um you know you saw how much he struggled last season with a bunch of spare parts around him um why why should we believe things will suddenly be different this season i mean yes steph's on the floor but outside of that there's a lot of spare parts on the floor um the stakes aren't necessarily really going to be there this is a guy who kind of needs stakes um so i'm not convinced that he'll he'll be this dynamic defensive presence that he used to be and oh by the way like the best one of the best playmakers in the league i'm just not convinced he's going to be able to do that um and the fact that he's already had two significant setbacks with the foot injury and the positive coronavirus test 
doesn't bode super well. Um, so it's going to be fascinating to see how this all unfolds going forward. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what Draymond's temperament is going to be like and what his patience is going to be like, because, you know, in the past, he's, he, he get pissed off at guys, you know, <laughs> like Kevin Durant. Uh, and he's not afraid to yell and he's not afraid to blow his st- stack of teammates. And I think he's learned over the years. He's kind of mellowed a little bit and, and knowing that he's got to soften his edge a little bit, but what's going to happen when he gets with these guys, when Ubre and Wiggins and stuff start going off the rails a little bit, right? Uh, how much patience is Draymond going to have with that kind of stuff? Well, last season, early last season, you remember he kind of exploded a couple of times, uh, was very frustrated about how, realizing how bad they were. And yeah. then I know Steve pulled him aside and had a couple conversations with him. And, and he basically decided, I'm just going to accept reality and deal with it. And he was pretty relatively jovial the rest of the season, given the circumstances. But obviously his play was was not great. And I wonder if those two things are connected, right? I mean, I kind of feel like he needs that chip on his shoulder on and off the court to be a great player. And if he just resigns him to the self to the fact that they're not good is he going to be a great player um you know so it'll be it'll be interesting but scott um i really appreciate you man joining joining me on the pod stepping away from your vacation shows your commitment level um and means a lot uh where can our listeners find your stuff in case they're silly enough to not already be following you well i'm on twitter at scott osler and i also have a my son Gabe and I have a uh, Twitter feed, which is Osler Sports, and we we do a weekly podcast on that, and we've got a good one up there now. It's kind of interesting. With, with, we interview an old baseball guy, and that's a lot of fun. So if anybody wants to check that out, and uh, I guess that's about it. Yeah, and I I had I went on there a couple of weeks ago. It was a good time. So definitely listen to that. And Scott, hope you have a good. That's right, you put us on the map. You know, we're, <laughs> we were struggling, and then you came out and did your guest spot, and that just. Uh, shot us at the popularity polls so we appreciate that warriors off court is a production of the san francisco chronicle support warriors off court in the newsroom that creates it by signing up for a chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com pod 